notepad. This is a legal size notepad Sister Grant bought me while we were in Puerto Rico. Uh, I had been wanting a nice notepad. And when we had our anniversary, I bought her a nice gift, and she wanted to buy me a gift. And I said, why don't you wait until I go down to uh, the West Indies, and perhaps we can find something down there that will be inexpensive. And uh, then my birthday came along, and I said, don't buy anything for my birthday. I want to buy a nice notepad. So when we got into San Juan... This notepad that she bought me is made of genuine eel skin. It is, in the States, it's a very, very expensive notepad. This would cost you almost $200 here in the States. It is 150 times stronger than regular leather of the similar thickness. And, come on, come on. Well, now, I wasn't making an announcement about my birthday. I just wanted to say how much that I do appreciate. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I, I appreciate uh, Sister Grant going along with me. They meant a tremendous amount to the people down there uh, to have her. And, and uh, the ladies down there, they, they like for the, the uh, preachers who come for the wives to go with them. So Sister Grant insisted on, I'll finish my story, that I purchase this. It costs just a fraction of the cost of what they cost here in the States. Just a fraction. But uh, I will not be using this each time I preach because, as you can see, it's very large. I need this, though, for our board uh, meetings and for uh, just the work of the Lord that I do. I take a lot of notes and things like that in this. And then I have the World Atlas here. It doesn't mean that I'm going to talk about missions tonight. That's not it at all. Actually, what I want to do is take the Bible and turn to Matthew 25, and I want to preach to you concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 25, and I'd like to read verse 1 through 13. And this is dealing with the parable of the five wise and five foolish virgins. Praise God. Verse 1, reading through verse 13. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened to ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. When all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, then, pardon me, all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell, and buy for yourselves. 
And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgin, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily, I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Praise God. God bless you. You may be seated. Now, <clears throat> what I, I just want to do tonight is, is not dis, discuss this parable as much as discuss what the parable basically is talking about. We won't go into any details on the parable. Certainly talking about the, the day in which the Lord Jesus Christ will come back. It starts out by saying, Then shall the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you read Matthew 24, you understand that for the most part, Matthew 24 is dealing with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. While it is not dealing only with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, primarily that's what it talks about. The disciples came to the Lord and they said, uh, uh, we want to ask you something. Would you talk to us about when the temple will be, dis- will be rebuilt or destroyed, pardon me? Will you talk to us about the time in which you will, the Son of Man will return? And will you tell us about the, the end of the world? Now, we know that the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. And there are certain things in there that deals with the destruction of the temple. And then the coming of the Son of Man. There are certain things that deal with that. And then the end of the world. What I want to talk to you about is the coming of the Lord and the period of time between the time in which the Lord will come and the end of the world. We would like to exclude, however, the millennium, which is 1,000 years, and talk only about the time of the tribulation, the coming of the Lord and the time of the tribulation. Now, I'm not going to go into a lot tonight with you. A lot of scripture. And because I have the world atlas here, it doesn't mean that I'm going to take you all the way around the world. But uh, I have been given a tremendous amount of thought to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then, of course, going overseas as we did, and visiting people in different cultures and seeing the immense burning desire that they have to please the Lord... And then coming back home and seeing so many young people, and and I've been preaching to our young people for a good number of weeks, but seeing so many of them that are so caught up in vain things and so caught up in unthankful and unholy activities that uh, it leads me to believe that unless God performs a miracle for some of you, you will definitely be left behind. And you will have to endure the time of the tribulation that the Bible speaks of. Now, if this happens to you, uh, quite frankly, I want you to know that I pity you already. I pity any man that has to go through the time of the tribulation. Now, I want everybody at Calvary Gospel Church to stay in the auditorium tonight and listen to me, except the ones that are in the nursery. And I trust that Sister Diane and the ones in the nursery can hear. Is that true? She can't hear, she says. We just, we want everybody to be able to hear. Now I want to explain something here before we go on any further. 
Uh, I have been noticing, in fact, I've been taking some trips out while other people are preaching, Sunday morning, Thursday night, and also uh, Sunday night. And I've been noticing that some of you uh, experience some, some deep burdens and problems and, and uh, such. You'll stay out of church all during service. Don't do that. In fact, we request that you be in here. And I have uh, asked the ushers that if there are people in the vestibule, or downstairs or wherever, if you observe them going downstairs and they don't come in the auditorium, round them up and bring them in. Now, some of the ushers don't like to uh, be that uh, uh, firm with people, but it just, it's necessary. It's necessary. See, I personally believe if you have a problem, that God wants to deal with that in His Word. And if you sit out, you're only, you're only playing into the hands of the devil for further a despondency and further pro- trouble. And uh, so get inside of the house of the Lord and let the word of the Lord encourage you or perhaps just knock you flat on your back, which sometimes the word of the Lord needs to do. You know, sometimes you have to get confused in order to get fused. And uh, <clears throat> God wants you to be torn up about certain things. So give God a chance. And ushers, please don't tolerate people sitting out in the vestibule. And you may say, well, what if my child is sick and such? Well, uh, naturally, we're not saying that if somebody's vomiting or you're sick or such that you ought to stay in here. And, and uh, you know, and, and same is true with your child. There's certain emergencies. But, but to just sit out because maybe you had a rough day and to sit out because that uh, you know, your children don't behave, and to sit out because, when I say don't behave, I'm talking about that's the general pattern. If you start at home, it'd be a lot easier at church. And, uh, but just to sit out there for, you know, because you're just you're kind of in, not in a mood or whatever, uh, don't do it. In fact, if that is your attitude, get in your car and go home and go to bed. For, for sure, when you're asleep, you're not depressed. I talked to a man one time. He called me at 2 a.m. in the morning. He said, Pastor Grant, I'm depressed. I said, where are you? He said, I'm at Perkins on the west side. And I said, well, I can tell you a sure cure for depression. He said, what's that? I said, go home and get into bed and sleep. When, when people are asleep, they're not depressed. He said, oh, I never thought about that. <clears throat> so he called me the next day and said, you know, that really worked. He said, <laughs> he, he was a man who called me about everything. He said, you know, that's, that's right. It really worked. I went home and I went to bed and went to sleep. And he said, I woke up this morning and I got to thinking. I wasn't depressed all night long. <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> really, you should respect the word of the Lord. It, it is necessary. And you who are against here, I'm not trying to make it sound like that, you know, we got a whole lot of people who don't care anything about preaching. That's not it. Uh, Naturally, we all care, and this is, I believe that I am really uh, expressing the views of 99.99% of our people. Praise God. If, if you come to church and you're just interested in visiting, uh, uh, go to Hardy's and get some coffee and sit down there. And uh, it's just disrespectful. And the worst thing you, anybody could ever do is to get up during the altar call and leave. That's the worst thing you'd ever do. Leave before that or stay until it's over. Don't get up 
It has a psychological effect on people. You ask people, come on and give your, come down the front and give your heart to the Lord. And people head out the back door. That doesn't look too good, does it? You know, if I didn't know anything about the Lord and I was sitting in a congregation and somebody did that, I would say, my, uh, they're going the wrong way. And what would they be leaving for at such an important time in this minister's message? Praise God. Isn't that right? Amen. I flew a long ways just to tell you that. No, not really. It is good to be back. Praise God. God is so good. God is so good. Uh, I just uh, have been given a whole lot of thought to my own ministry and my own life and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And You know, folks, I want to go to heaven. I really do. Right after I was saved, the Lord gave me a dream. And that dream has never left me. I remember waking up about three months after I was saved, and I was going through some spiritual struggles. I was having problems working out some things. My attitude wasn't as good as it should be. And I remember the Lord giving me this dream. I, I heard the trumpet sound. And I heard a great voice like thunder shake. And uh, it was the rapture. And I remember how that I was asleep and the Lord woke me out of my sleep. Now that was in my dream. So I didn't really wake up at that time. But I started floating horizontally to the ceiling to go up. And when I got to the ceiling, I just bumped against the ceiling. And I remember frantically trying to tear my way through the ceiling. And uh, I just, I was just kind of stuck there. And then I fell back down on the bed. And I went back up and I just couldn't get through the ceiling. And I cried and I tried and I screamed. I did everything, Lord, Lord. And it was almost like the roar of a freight train in the distance that left. And you could, you could hear the great joy of all the people of God as they left. And then, of course, I fell back down after the Lord had left. I fell back down on the bed. It was like maybe I had a, a little Holy Ghost, but not enough. You know what I'm talking about? And so I was magnetized by the pull when the Lord came back. But I just didn't have enough to be transformed, to be changed. See, the Bible says when the Lord comes back, the dead in Christ shall rise first. The Bible also speaks of us who will are alive and remain, that we will make a change. We would be changed from mortal to immortal, from corrupt to incorrupt. And so our bodies will be changed and we'll be made like Him. And of course, when I didn't go up, then I woke up and the dream affected me so. I wept and cried and prayed and wept and cried and prayed. And, and I think I can truthfully say that since that particular time, I have never lost a desire to go up and be with the Lord in the rapture. And quite frankly, every now and then, suffering some of the temptations and problems that all men suffer, uh, that comes back to me. I don't want to be left behind. I really don't want to be left behind. Now, we're not going to go too much into Matthew 24, 
Uh, Jesus did, however, speak of wars, and he spoke of rumors of wars. Uh, he spoke of pestilences, famines, earthquakes in diverse places. Now, earthquakes in diverse places means earthquakes in strange places, places where they don't usually have earthquakes. Earthquakes will be there. He spoke of false prophets that will deceive many. Uh, he spoke of uh, uh, the various other conditions that are that are found in Matthew 24 that uh, that point to the time of his coming, and and then of course he he said as the lightning uh, flashes from the east to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be, and that means that Jesus Christ is going to come back, as far as I can determine in the Scripture. On a day just like today, just a common day, no spectacular events happening and such. Uh, back in the early uh, or late 60s when the world began to develop uh, a lot of rebellion and such, uh, a lot of people thought that, that the Lord was going to come then. Now, surprisingly, see, uh, we have gone back to a very conservative stand in, in the States. Now, that's not only true in the States, but that's pretty true throughout the world. Uh, the world is looking at things more conservatively than ever before. Uh, I, I remember uh, thinking about the, the anti-establishment movement and such. And, and I began to wonder, you know, if this would be a prevailing circumstance at the coming of the Lord. And it's just like the Lord impressed upon me in prayer, uh, it could be, but perhaps not. Now, I do know that, that, that the Lord will come in the fullness of time. Now, that simply means that, that certain things have to develop and certain things must uh, occur in a certain way before the Lord comes back. Now, we, we, we know that. We know that. The great falling away that's spoken of in uh, Matthew or uh, Luke 21, Luke 19, and and, and such. I don't really think that's talking about the, the time before the coming of the Lord. I think it's talking about in the tribulation period. There will be a great falling away. And the reason why there will be a great falling away is because the Lord leaves and the Holy Ghost then. The Holy Ghost uh, is, is not active in people's lives as it is today. If you read in Second Thessalonians when... Uh, Paul speaks of the Antichrist. The Antichrist cannot and will not be revealed until such a time that the body of Christ is taken out of the way. And when the body of Christ is taken out of the way, then the Antichrist and the workers of iniquity on the face of the earth are free to do what they want to do. I believe the church of the living God plays such a vital, integral, and important part in the development of circumstances and situations in a world. I personally believe that the only thing that's holding true goodness and integrity in the human race is the church. And, and the working of the Holy Ghost in our world today. And if in the event that is taken away, and it will be taken away, then uh, it's needless to say that it will be easy for the Antichrist to reveal himself and set up an earthly reign. It will be be an easy thing. It will not be a difficult thing. It will be an easy thing. And then, of course, when you look at all the calamities that will take place, which we will talk about to some degree, 
uh, tonight. When you, when you talk about all the calamities that will take place after the Lord Jesus Christ comes back for the church, uh, little wonder then that, that men began to look for a world leader, a one world leader. Now, right now I do not believe that it's God's will that we have a, uh, uh, a government that deals with the multiplicity of nations. I, I don't believe that. And the reason why I don't believe that, because I believe that, that at the Tower of Babel, when God confused the languages, that He sent men forth to live in different areas. And Paul explains in Acts 17 that God has, has put men in certain places and limited them to the bounds of their habitation. And the various cultures and languages and, and such God gave to men. That was God's idea. That was God's plan. And so as a result, uh, uh, the various national boundaries and such and cultures and, and languages and such, that all came out of God. I, I was just amazed when I was in, when, in Eau Claire, Brother Nathaniel Paul Urshan uh, spoke about the, the uh, infilling of the Holy Ghost and the gift of tongues. And he was telling that he took a course in, in college on various languages. And while his professor was atheistic, <coughs> the professor that uh, uh, he worked with gave a lecture on languages. And, and she made the statement. She said, uh, uh, irregardless of what we want to believe about languages, with all the languages of the world, we have come to the conclusion that it's impossible for languages to develop. It's impossible. She said, uh, uh, there is not one chance ever of such an occurrence happening. Not one chance. And of course she said, uh, uh, the, the people, the language experts of today working with mathematicians have concluded that it would be impossible for a language like the English language to develop. And she said, now, we, we don't really know then what the answer is, except that it appears that, that maybe somewhere at some time there must have been some evade, invasion or something uh, into the planet Earth, and the languages must have been given to develop all the, uh, the vocabulary, the, the words, and then the tenses and so forth of all the languages of the world. We have come to the conclusion it, it is impossible that those things be developed a power outside of the planet Earth must have given those languages to the Earth. Now she said, we're not really for sure how all this fits in with evolution and such, but it has to be that way. But my Bible tells me, back in the early chapters of the book of Genesis, that, that God came down and confounded the languages. And, and so that the people who were working at the Tower of Babel, who were serving the, the men who were laying the brick and everything, when they started to hand them a brick and they started to talk, they talked in a different language, a language uh, different from the man who, who, who uh, uh, was to receive the brick and such. And, and so the Lord confounded their language and sent them away. Now that was the starting of the, the various cultures and the various languages. And, and since that day, that seems to be God's idea. That seems to be God's, God's plan. I... I'm just really amazed at various places that we've been where they speak different languages. And, and, and you know, it's almost like it's a fake thing. But they understand uh, the Spanish language. I, I'm just, uh, 
I took Spanish two years in high school, and I thought I knew it real well until I moved to Houston, Texas to go to Bible school. A lot of Spanish-speaking people down there. And did you know that I got down there, and I couldn't understand a word? And, And not only that, I also would speak some language. They didn't understand me. Now, when I spelled it out, they understood it. But I would stop some of them, and some of them could speak uh, uh, English, and some of them couldn't. And, and I'd say, slow down real slow. The Spanish language is spoken six times faster than the English language. Now, I can't even think that fast. I really can't. I can't even think that fast. And, but, but they just rattle, 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 and they, they know when to laugh and when to cry and, and, and everything. And here I, I said, slow down now. I worked with some of these men. They'd slow down and they'd speak it. But when they speak it, it didn't sound anything like the way I spoke it. Of course, the Spanish is not intended to have an East Texas brogue, see. And uh, I guess maybe I was putting it in there. I spelled some words, but you know, I couldn't go around spelling or writing it out. And then, of course, even though you take two years in in high school, uh, certainly it's, it's, it's only a drop in the bucket compared to the to the, the language itself. So I, I finally just gave up, and I found out that I could just pretty well uh, just, just uh, point and, and uh, do, you know, with my hands and describe things better than I could try to get a word in which those people could understand. But you see, since that day in which the language were confounded, and God gave them the languages, it was God's intent for them to have national boundaries and kingdoms and, and powers and so forth seemed to be the greatest hindrance to the workings of iniquity on the face of the earth. For before the flood, the whole world was of one language and one culture, the Bible says. And so, uh, a lot of things that we see in our world today, if we only understood what God was really trying to do, it would, uh, it would cure a lot of our, our preconceived prejudices and, and so forth. Every man, however... Regardless of his culture or background, he's important to God. God wants to save everybody. He certainly wants to save everybody. Now, I believe when the fullness of time has come, that that God's going to come back. When is the fullness of time? The fullness of time is not speaking of a particular time on a clock, but it's basically talking about the developing of conditions. When, When the fullness of time was come, the Bible says God sent forth His Son. Made of a woman, made under the law. Now, the fullness of time that's spoken of there, it simply means that when the world could no longer survive without the Redeemer, when, when, when the law of Moses had been fulfilled right down to the jotting of the, or the, the dotting of the I and the crossing of the T, the jot and the tittle, it was necessary, the Bible says, that Jesus Christ come forth to complete that law and so Jesus was the, came in the fullness of time. And, and I'm here to say that, that the nation of Israel could no longer stand as a nation without the Redeemer, the Messiah, the King of the Jews coming. And the world that, that uh, was under the influence uh, of paganistic trends and traditions and ideas, the Grecians putting their input into it, the Babylonians putting theirs, the Medes and the Persians and, and the Roman Empire spreading gross iniquity throughout the world. The world could no longer exist without the Redeemer. That's the reason why that Paul says in Romans, the third chapter, 
For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He said the whole world must stand up guilty of breaking the commandments of God. That's when Jesus Christ came to visit the planet Earth in the fullness of time. When will he come back again? He'll come back in the fullness of time. When the human race can no longer exist with its integrity the way it is. When all goodness is dissipated and we're only one generation from total godliness. And I believe that's where we are today. I believe that Jesus Christ is going to come back. My friend, I'm expecting the Lord to come back in in the generation in which I live. In fact, Jesus said the gospel of the kingdom must be preached into all the world for a witness. Then shall the end come. But Jesus said, when you see all of these things come to pass, he said, uh, look up. He said, for your redemption draweth nigh. He said in Matthew, the 24th chapter, he said that uh, when all of these things uh, uh, be fulfilled, he said, this generation shall not pass, Matthew 24, 34, until these things be fulfilled. Now that simply means that the, the generation that sees the, the fulfillment, the Israel becoming a nation once again, as Israel already has, and, and, and these things developing and such. Uh, he, he said, now, now this generation, the, the generation that sees the, the, the fulfillment of the signs, will not pass away until Jesus Christ comes back. You know, I, I, feel, I feel very, very comfortable in, in preaching to you. I feel very assured in preaching to you. I have no doubt in my mind that I shall see the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ because I can truthfully say that we're the only generation that has seen Matthew 24 fulfilled. Praise God. Praise God. Israel is a nation once again. And, and I believe it that, that, that if you look at Israel and you look at the time clock of Israel and you look at the development of Israel, you know, uh, there's just so much that, that is contingent in the plan of God around the nation of Israel. And I just really believe that Jesus Christ is coming back in my generation. Now, knowing that to be true, the way I know it to be true, and feeling a witness of the Spirit, I would be most foolish to sell my soul away to satanic forces and powers just for a little pleasure that, that really is meaningless in this day and time. Because really, when you know God, friend, you've got all the peace and the joy and the comfort that, the, that you can ever get you think that some sin and some vice and such that can fulfill the pleasures of your heart and give you what you're longing for, you're making a mistake. There's something darkened inside of your soul. You need God to come down and anoint your eyes with eye salve as he spoke to the church of Laodicea that you can see things right and in the proper perspective. Because, listen, the devil's blind in your eyes and the devil's making you believe all that garbage. True joy and tranquility and serenity all comes through serving God and knowing peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Praise God. You're not going to find it any other place. No other place. No other place. Now, you notice in Matthew 24, the cry was made at midnight. A lot of the parables in the Bible deal with the Jewish calendar of the Jewish clock, the Jewish day started at, at six in the evening. They had their, their darkness and then they had their light. The internationally accepted day starts at, at midnight. And, and, and it appears that the reason why that Jesus said at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. 
It's because Matthew 25 was a parable, or Matthew, the parable of Matthew 25 was a parable that was intended for the Gentile nations, not just the Jews, but, but people who understood the vernacular. Midnight is the stopping of one day and the starting of another. Midnight is also denoted as a time of bleakness and darkness and despair. Praise God. And so as a result, I believe that the the final hours, the final minutes are clicking off for the, the grace dispensation, the church age that we live in. God has had several dispensations. Dispensation simply means a period of time in which God has dealt with man a particular way. The dispensation of innocence, man in the Garden of Eden, then conscience, Cain and Abel, and so forth, and the other patriarchs and such that lived in that period of time. Then we go into the promised dispensation, or human government first, uh, during the time after the flood, and then we go into the promised dispensation, the, the dispensation of, of Job and and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the patriarchs of old, then the dispensation of the law, and then we get into the New Testament, the dispensation of the church or the Holy Ghost dispensation or the dispensation of grace. But you see, in all of these dispensations, there came a time in which God looked down upon the human race and judged the human race according to their acceptance of the law of God in that dispensation. And for the most part, even the religious world today has rejected the, the dispensation of the Holy Ghost. In mainline denominational churches, preachers will stand up and tell you that the Holy Ghost and speaking with tongues is of the devil had nothing to do with those apostolic people that speak with tongues. Now that's a gross rejection of, of the dispensation of the Holy Ghost that we live in. And when that takes place, my friend, you can expect the judgments of God to fall upon the human race. For if the churches will not stand for it, how in the world then could the world that knows not God stand up and say, I agree with it? Praise God. Somebody said to, not too long ago, they, they said, oh, you're apostolic. Aren't you known as holy rose? I said, we're known by all of it. Quite frankly, that doesn't offend me. There was a time which I didn't like. I remember one man I worked with called me a holy roller and it offended me. It really did offend me. Listen, if you're a guest of ours, you can say what you want to say when you leave out these doors. But I can assure you of this one thing. You see, I've read my Bible through and through. I've spent a lot of time in the Word of the Lord. Paul said, you can do nothing against the church but for the church. That simply means every time that you make mockery of the church of the living God, somehow God takes that adversity and turns it around and he brings a positive result from it. Praise God. So I say that if you don't like what we believe and, 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 you, and somehow in your heart there's disdain when you think uh, of the church of the living God and, and, and all of this business of divine healing and speaking with tongues and, and such. If you don't want to help the, the apostolic church, don't go out there and tell your friends how loony we are because I'm here to tell you, my friend, God will take that adversity and turn around and he'll make something good out of it. Amen. Praise God, praise God. <clears throat> Praise God. Don't you know that the greatest period of time that the church has ever had was when gross persecution from the outside world and the religious world came upon the church of God. It was during the time in which people just said, well, just kind of let them go and we won't bother them anymore. That the church of the living God did not do as well. Praise God. Praise God. You know what? I feel what I'm preaching tonight. 
Let's turn to Revelation, the sixth chapter. No, let's turn to Revelation, the fourth chapter. Revelation 4. Now, Jesus speaking directly through the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos gives him a revelation of the events of the world from the beginning of time all the way through the conclusion. The first chapter of the book of Revelation, you can just listen, you don't have to go back. There is just a salutation given. There is a description of Jesus Christ given. In Revelation 2 and Revelation 3, there were seven letters written to seven churches of Asia, all of which I definitely do believe parallel with the seven parables of Matthew 13 that deal with the parables or prophecy of the kingdom of heaven from the time in which Jesus Christ sowed the seed until the time in which the great dragnet shall be cast in the sea together fish of every kind. Pardon me, of every kind. And after the last church age, the age of Laodicea, which we live in, uh, chapter 4 of Revelation starts out like this. After this, that's after the completion of the seven church ages, after this, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was it were... Pardon me. I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set up in heaven, and one set on the throne. Now, what John is saying, uh, this, this is what happened to me. After the seven church ages, he said, I looked up. And, and, of course, now he was in the Spirit when he was writing all this. And the Lord was just taking him through in visionary form or in dream form. From the time in which Jesus Christ was, was proclaimed on the planet Earth as being the Messiah, the King of the Jews, until the time in which the final curtain shall fall upon, upon everything and eternity rolls around. So he said, now, after the completion of the seven church ages, he said, I looked up. And he said, all of a sudden the heavens opened up and there was a big door that opened up into heaven. And, and what I beheld, he said, I, I heard a voice and it sounded like a trumpet. And he said, when I listened carefully, the thunder rolling and the trumpet shaking the heavens, he said, I heard the, the sound of the trumpet saying, come up hither. And he said, immediately, he said, I was in the spirit. And there I was. Doesn't that sound like what Paul was saying to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, verse 13? He, he, let, let's turn back there and, and let's read that. In case we're preaching to somebody here who is just not that familiar with the, the passage of Scripture, let's go back there and, and let, let's read it. It's, it's also found in 1 Corinthians 15, but we'll read this account tonight. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 Paul says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. That's talking about people who have died in the Lord. And that you are not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which also sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, 
that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. In other words, when the Lord comes back, he will be riding the clouds of glory. It's described in the prophecy as being that way. We will be changed in the moment, the Bible says, in the twinkling of an eye, 1 Corinthians 15. That, that's the way it's going to happen. And of course, uh, uh, Paul is saying here, he further elaborates on this, and he said, uh, when the Lord comes back, he said, it's going to be with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. In other words, uh, we sometimes use, this, use the phrase that Gabriel's going to blow the trumpet. Now, I don't know that the Bible says that Gabriel's going to blow the trumpet. I searched and searched and searched and searched and searched. I know that Gabriel must be a trumpet blower, but on the other hand, or at least everybody thinks he is, I can't find in the Bible where it says that Gabriel is going to blow the trumpet. But my friend, it doesn't make any difference to me if Gabriel does blow the trumpet or he doesn't blow the trumpet. I know the Lord himself is going to call me up. The Bible says that he is. And he's going to speak with the voice of a trumpet and with the voice of great thunder when he calls me up. The Bible says in verse 17, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And so, this is what John is writing about. He said, I looked up, and there was a door in heaven. And he said, all of a sudden, I heard the voice of the trumpet that says, Come up here, John, I want you up here. And he said, and immediately I was in the spirit, at the, in the moment, in the, the twinkling of an eye. We will be changed, Paul says, and, and there we will be. Praise God. I say there we will be. I, I just really can't, in, in, in my limited vocabulary, start to describe uh, the feeling. But I, I know what it feels like to have the Spirit of God come upon you and literally control you. There have been times, my friend, when I've clapped and I wasn't altogether in the spirit. By that I mean I, I could control, I could stop it when I wanted to. But there have been other times when I could, I, I started clapping and I, I just couldn't stop. There have been times in which I wanted to speak with tongues and, and, and I, I would speak with tongues, which is a takeover of the spirit, but still on the other hand, you know, somebody could tap me on the shoulder and, uh, and say, Brother Grant, and get me, uh, um, wake me up and I'd gain my composure and go answer the telephone. There have been other times, my friend, in which I've gone in my office and even after walking in my office and the phone was laying there and I couldn't stop speaking in tongues. It, it was just something inside of me. It was a takeover of the Spirit. There have been times when I have run in the Spirit and, and, and quite frankly, you know, I, I, I could have stopped if I'd have wanted, but I didn't want to. There have been other times I felt like David who said, I ran through a troop and jumped over a wall. In other words, there was a motivating force. I couldn't stop if I wanted to. I couldn't put the brakes on. There have been times when I've danced in the spirit and, and I'd look out across the congregation. I'd see something that wasn't quite right. I'd gain my composure and stop and I'd go and speak to the person who was acting adversely, uh, maybe not uh, fully in the spirit the way they ought to. But there have been other times that regardless of how much I wanted to, even though I wasn't necessarily wanting to, I could not have stopped because the Spirit was, was motivating me. The Spirit was pulling me. You see, I have tasted the powers of the world to come that Paul speaks of in Hebrews, the sixth chapter. 
verse uh, uh, 1 through 4. I, I know what it's like. And, 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 and even though I can't describe it, my friend, I, I, I still somehow in my mind, I, I, I can feel in my heart and, uh, what it's going to be like when the Lord just comes. And, and uh, I hear the voice of the trumpet and all of a sudden there's a, there's a takeover. Praise God. And I bleed my eyes and I'm on streets of gold. Now, friend, I believe that. I believe it as much as I believe there's a God in heaven. I believe that. Praise God. I believe it. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, God. I mean, I really do believe it. I really do believe it. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. Praise God. And I'll tell you the truth. There's nothing in the world that I like more than I like to leave church on Sunday night or Thursday night or whenever. Feel that cleansing touch of the Spirit of the Lord. Now, I agree that to be alone in prayer is a great thing, and I like that. But what makes it so complete, you see, when you're at church is that, that, you, that you're able to, to share your faith with somebody else. And God put it that way. When Paul said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching, there's just something about all of God's people getting together. All of God's people getting together. There's something about it. The Bible speaks of the magnification of His Word. The Bible speaks of us magnifying His Word. The Bible speaks of us magnifying the Lord in praise. You know what you do when you magnify something? You enlarge it. Now that simply means that if I get alone and I praise the Lord, that's one man, that's one power. But if I'm with you, then, then, then you make two power. And if I'm with the, you and a brother, that's three power. And right now, tonight, I don't know how many places that are filled in this, uh, the pews tonight, but I would say that we probably have a, a hundred and fifty or two hundred power here tonight. You see, that's magnification of the, of the, of the Lord. I've got some binoculars that are seven by fifty, uh, and, and you see, uh, that simply speaks of that at 50 yards, you can see what you can normally see at seven yards. That, that simply means it's, it's magnified that many times. And you see, that's what happens when God's people get together and they start praising the Lord. And you see, when things are magnified, that simply means they're clearer than they've ever been. And friend, you, you cannot on this planet our feather ever get into a position in which you can see God better than you can see God when you're with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Why? Because you see, you not only see what you see with your eyes, but you can see what they're feeling and what they're seeing. Now that's true magnification. Praise God, praise God. And the whole scope and plan of God gets clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer. And so John was in the spirit there. Revelation 5. He's, he's in the spirit, but he's in heaven. And of course, you, you, you see, this is the scene in heaven. It, it, it's like a play that's written. It's like read about the red horse rider. When opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out a horse that was red. And power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth. They could kill one another, and there was given unto him a great sword. Now, the first rider, what did he do? He gave peace. Now, I personally believe that the four riders are not four people. Some people feel the four riders are Antichrist. Now, I don't believe that except 
that I personally believe that all the others, I can prove that they are conditions, not men. And I believe that then the first one is a condition also. Now, Jesus said that in the last days men shall, men's hearts shall fail them for fear the things that are coming upon the face of the earth. Heart attack is still the number one killer in the world today. But the Bible also says that there will be a condition that will be prevalent when Jesus Christ comes back and that will be a false peace movement. Now, the Bible says in the moment they cry, peace, peace, then sudden destruction. Now, you notice the peace that was given was only given for a short period of time. Jesus said, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives unto you. You see, what the world gives to you is a peace. It's predicated upon, if you'll do this, you'll be happy and peaceful. If you'll take this pill, you'll have a high, and you'll be happy and peaceful. But you know, it doesn't last very long. But the peace that I have lasts as long as God lasts, and He's eternal. It's not contingent upon any external power or force. This is the reason why that a brother can sit on the front pew knowing that his grandmother has passed on. At the same time, he feels the undergirding of the Spirit of the Holy Ghost. Why? Because you see, John Seidel's peace is deep down inside of his soul. It's not contingent upon what you do or what you say, what you don't do or what you don't say. It's not contingent upon what happens in his surroundings. It doesn't make any difference at all. You see, you can live in a mansion worth a million dollars or you can live in a little hamlet someplace in a shack. But it doesn't make any difference because the peace of God is inside your heart and nobody nor nothing can take it out. Praise God. But you see this false peace movement, the, the hippie movement went around, peace, 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 peace. And it's still alive today. The biggest talk on the planet earth is peace. But it's a false thing because it's not predicated upon the prince of peace. If you want to know peace, pardon me, you've got to know the prince that brings it. The second one, the Bible says the condition then with a great sword came. And of course they started, people started killing each other. Wars and rumors of wars. Now remember the rapture has already taken place. It took place in Revelation 4. We're in Act 2, scene 1. Then verse 5, the Bible says, And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Now the oil and the wine make reference to riches. Now that's simply saying then, a measure of wheat for a penny, three measures of barley for a penny. If I understand correctly in the day in which this was written, a man's average wage was a penny for a day. In order for his life to be sustained, he needed at least one measure of wheat or three measures of barley. More barley than wheat because it was not full of the nutrients that barley was had or wheat had. And so he needed more barley than he needed wheat just to sustain life. Now, if I understand what the Scripture is saying then, 
that as soon as the Lord gets back, a man will work all day long. And all he gets out of it is just enough money to buy his food. Why? There's a, there's a great shortage. Of course, see that thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Now that simply means that there will be some rich people. Now, and those rich people will be able to, to sustain their life and sustain it well. But, but you've got to understand when Jesus prophesied about the coming of the Son of Man. He spoke of contrasting conditions. Did not he say famine and pestilences? But he also he said, it'll be just like it were in the days of Noah. And it'll be like it were in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, for they were eating and drinking. And they were married and given in marriage. He also said they would be building until the day. And that simply means then that there will be parts of our world before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ where people are literally starving to death. There'll other be other parts where people make their belly their God. They'll eat and they'll drink and they'll build. And, and I know that every now and then we, we get a big scare about the economy in America. And, and, and we read books like The Day the Dollar Dies and such. I told somebody, don't you wait around until the dollar dies to get your heart right with God because it just might be that the nation that you're living in will be the prosperous nation, a prosperous nation, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. This may be the nation in which we're eating and drinking. It might be the nation in which we're marrying and giving in marriage. It might be the nation in which we're building. In fact, all of those conditions are prevalent today. We just came back from the West Indies Island of St. Kitts where people are held in poverty. You'd be surprised. Sister Grant stood up and testified. She said, oh, she said, I just wish I could take all of you back to Calvary Gospel Church and just let all of you meet our people there. People literally clapped their hands and cheered and wept later on. Brother and Sister Shirley began to talk to us about it and said, Sister Grant, you know what they were saying? You, you know, several of our missionaries and several of our pastors who have come down here, the people have brought their babies up to them and said, as a gift to you, I'd like to give you my child. Take him back to America. Uh, we don't want him to grow up down here in poverty. Oh, we've never been to the States, but we hear how it is, and we see all of you preachers come down here. And the greatest honor that I could bestow upon my child and upon you is to give my child to you. I love my child. I love my child dearly. But if I could just have my child to grow up in the States so that he doesn't have to crack rock for $11 a barrel, and that's what they get for about a week's wage. And they use those little cracked up rocks and such to pave the roads and such. If we could just get out of the poverty that we're in, or at least... If I could just have one child that I knew that could grow up to be smart and not have to be in poverty, oh, how happy it would mean, how happy I would be. Just the thought of having a child in the States that doesn't have to go around with his hand out and beg and pick up little sticks to build houses with, you see, that would be so great. So you see, all of those conditions that Jesus spoke of, friend, they're alive today, there's no doubt about it. But after the coming of the Lord, you can see how then that the world goes into this terrible, terrible condition of, of shortages of this and shortages of that and shortages of this. That's the reason why that the world will experience a one world government under the reign of the Antichrist because people seemingly don't have any other alternative. Do you know that when the Antichrist stamps the, the seal 666 upon your hand, the Bible says he does that. You must denounce the Lord in order to take that. And the reason why that so many people do it, because they cannot buy nor sell, eat nor drink without the mark. 
And a lot of people would rather die with a full stomach and go to hell than they would to die with an empty stomach and go to heaven. Now, I'm not making reference <coughs> that people during the tribulation period will be saved and in the bride of Christ because, see, the rapture's already taking place. But that's the way they view it. And then, of course, the last condition, <coughs> and when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked and beheld a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death. And hell followed after him, and power was given unto him over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword, and with hunger, and with death, and with the beast of the earth. And what it seems like, the riders of all, the conditions of all the horses then culminate. In other words, they exist simultaneously until the last and a fourth part of the human race is killed. People will be in a blood battle like you'd never believed before, or never seen, or heard of before. I just read recently that the population on the planet Earth is 4,731,000, uh, 4,731,800,000 people. We're approaching the 5 billion mark. China has over a billion people. And so you can expect about one and a quarter billion people to be killed in a short period of time. <clears throat> now that's a, that's a lot of people. Uh, you talk about unsanitary conditions with that many bodies laying around dead. It, it's not going to be pleasant. You may say, Preacher, why are you talking about all these things? Because you see, if the rapture took place tonight, let's say at midnight, tomorrow will be the start of Act 2, Scene 1. We saw where the hurricane went through the, the West Indies Islands, St. Croix, St. Martin, St. Kitts. They were all hit hard. You see million-dollar yachts turned up on the side, some broken in half. Unbelievable. Roads washed out, piers crushed. Uh, one big tanker ship sunk. It, it was something else. It was just something. And uh, <laughs> the pastor who showed us all this on the Isle of St. Martin, he kept shaking his head. He had a funny little expression. He said, Brother Grant, it was no joke. It was no joke. It was no joke. As if to say, you know, in my own mind, you know, like all of a sudden the Lord just would withdraw the winds and the sea would come and the Lord would say, okay, I was just joking. Let's bring it all back to normal. But it's, there it is. It's all crushed. And you see, the reason why I have to preach like I'm preaching, friend, because it will not be a joke. It will actually happen. It will actually happen. It will actually happen. Now then, <clears throat> when we get into <clears throat> verse 9, it seemed to be Act 2, Scene 2. And you see other things begin to happen. And uh, <clears throat> if you will notice what happens then, uh, the Bible says in, uh, well, let's just start reading in verse 12. Now I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. Now you've seen that happen. All of a sudden the fruit fall off on the ground. You've seen that here in Wisconsin, the apple trees. A large wind will come and, and the, the ground is full of fruit. Destroys a crop. 
But this time we're talking about stars, literal stars falling to the planet Earth. You're talking about going out at, at, at noontime and the sky is black. And, and you're talking about then at night you look up and, and the moon is like blood. Now every now and then you see the moon and, and the moon will be a, a yellow-orange color. Blood is the color of the sign up there. That's what it's going to be like. Every now and then you go into a restaurant that's black and they've got red lights. And that's what the planet Earth's going to be like at night, all over. And I can tell you one thing, friend. While it may be a romantic atmosphere now in some corner of some restaurant, it's not going to be too romantic then. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Every island and mountain were moved out of their places. We just picked up a sea beer. All right. <coughs> now when I began to read this, and I, I read this in a morning devotion while I was in the West Indies, and I, I got to thinking, you know, I, I'm sitting on an island right here. Now that simply means then that, that after the Lord comes back, those islands are all going to be moved out of their places. Now, i tell you the truth, you know, uh, I, I, if I were a sinner man, I would not want to live on an island. If the rapture took place, the first thing I'd do is get out of there. When you look at the population of the islands, I do not have that available for you, but, but, but you just think for a moment. Just think for a moment. You go down to Cuba. How many people live in Cuba? I'm not for sure how many. But I think it's around 50 to 60 million people. You might want to look it up. I don't remember. The, I did look it up at one time, but I don't remember now. There's Puerto Rico. There's, there's Jamaica and Haiti. There's the Dominican Republic and, and all the West Indian islands. Uh, the Leeward Islands. The U.S. Virgin Islands. And, and then down to Trinidad and Tobago. And down in the Falkland Islands. Then, then, you, go, then you go up, up north on, on the Atlantic side. And there's parts of Newfoundland and Nova Scotia. And, and Greenland is the largest island in the world. And then you go to Iceland. And from there you go to the, to the, the United Kingdom of Ireland and Scotland and, and, and England. England has 100 million people in a small area. Then you go down into the Mediterranean of Sicily and and, 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 and Tripoli and places and, and then you go down around Africa and come back up on the other side and there's Madagascar which is a large island with several hundred millions of people there. And then as you begin to travel then eastward and you go all the way over to Indonesia and, and New Guinea and, and the Philippines and, and Malaysia and, and then you go up to Japan and uh, there are millions of people. And down around uh, uh, Australia, there's New Zealand. A large population of people down there. Now the Bible says in this period of time, those islands are going to sink into the sea. They won't have enough boats for all the people to leave. Now how would you feel if all of a sudden you were vacationing someplace on an island and the trump of the Lord blew and all of a sudden you felt this gigantic earthquake? 
on the island of St. Martin's, they had an earthquake not too long ago. And the pastor said, you know, he said, it scared me so and I knew it was an earthquake because I'd been through an earthquake before. And he said, I managed to get to the door and I thought, I'm going to run. But he said, you get out and you can't run, he said. Because you, you start to take a step and, and the whole ground's shaking. You, you, all you can do is hang on to something. You can't run. He said, it was like my knees were made out of rubber and I tried, but I couldn't go anyplace. And he said, just for about two or three minutes, the, the whole island just shook. Now the Bible tells us that, that during this period of time, there will be a great comet that will hit the planet Earth and all the waters will turn to wormwood or bitter. At the same time, then the islands begin to shake and dissipate into the sea. You may say, that sounds very strange, Brother Grant, that God would do such a thing. You notice the Bible says in, in verse 16, he said, these people said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Now the word wrath of the Lamb, or the phrase is used. And the reason why that I think it's used, because you see, God is not a God that likes to display his power in wrathful ways. Wrath, there's a little bit of difference between anger and wrath. Wrath comes as a result of being provoked. Whereas anger sometimes is just a, a sudden burst of, of an emotion that, uh, that comes about as a result of various conditions. But you see, a lamb. Have you ever been over to East Island when they were shearing the sheep? I talked with a sheep shearer over there. And they get where they can shear those sheep in 20 and 30 seconds. Big, plump sheep. And uh, they throw them on their back and they just lay there. And the guy said, you know that some of these sheep we put on their back and they'll lay there and die? They won't move. They're just that docile. They, they just lay there and die. They won't even get up to get anything to eat. He said, we cannot determine as to whether they can't get up or whether they won't get up. But it appears to me that they just won't get up. Because sometimes they'll be thrown down by some natural situation and they seem to be able to escape that. But if we put them down, they won't get up. They'll just lay there. You can go back to them 15 minutes later and they're still laying on their, on their back there. Like they're just saying, go ahead and shear me. And any other thing that you want to do to me, you could cut my throat if you want to. Didn't Jesus Christ say that he was led to the slaughter? And as a dumb sheep before his shearer, he was slain. You see? And, and so, you, you, could, you, could, you could do anything that you wanted to. That, that sheep wants to be loved. And isn't that the nature of God? That he really wants to be loved and he likes to show love? That's his nature. But he speaks of the wrath of the Lamb. That simply means that, that, that the people on the planet Earth, they kept pushing God, and they kept pushing God, and they kept pushing God, and they kept pushing God, until all of a sudden God says, wait a minute, I've had all of this I'm going to take now. I just can't take it any longer. You say you want to serve the devil. Well, what I'm going to do then, I'm going to withdraw my Holy Spirit and take my church out of this world, and I'll just let you and the devil... Have it for a while. And that's what the tribulation period's all about, my friend. That's what the tribulation period's all about. The Bible speaks of the stars and such being held in store until that great day. That simply means that the Holy Spirit's keeping it all in balance. But when the Holy Spirit is withdrawn, what happens then? 
It, it, it only stands to reason then that, that the spirit that kept it all in balance and it was, was drawn. It, we're going to have chaotic conditions in the solar system like never before. But you see, that's what people are saying they want. They say, take prayer out of the public school and in God we trust off the corn. Let us all just be Americans and have a prosperous society. I'm here to tell you, my friend, the Bible says a nation that forgets God will not survive. Hallelujah. And in a world that forgets God will not survive. Praise God. Praise God. And the mountains then will be moved out of their place. And, and I, I just, I got to thinking about, about, well, it looks to me like the best place to be would be on a continent. If all the mountains and, and all these islands are mountainous. <clears throat> but as I began to look in the atlas, and I began to, to, to search it out, like for Sister Larson, she would have just put up a transparency. Do you have any idea how many people in America are influenced by mountainous living? It's much greater than what you may, may understand. If you take the states of uh, Texas, Oklahoma, uh, Kansas, Nebraska, North and South Dakota, everything west of there is mountainous. And even those borderline states will be affected. Now, you know, along the St. Andrews Fault in California, uh, scientists are telling us that it's possible that, that all of that could peel off and be cast into the sea. Well, <clears throat> all I did was I, I began to look at the map and I began to, to run some totals. California has 20 million people. And all the people of California would be affected by an earthquake that would just level the mountains out. That's what the Bible's saying. Arizona having 2 million people, about 50,000 of those people would be affected. It has a lot of flat lands. Alaska, up in the extreme northwest, has 300,000 people. All of them would be affected. The state of Oregon with 2,091,385 people, all of them would be affected. Washington, 3,409,169 people. All of them would be affected. Idaho with 713,008 people. All of them would be affected. Utah with 1,059,273 people. All of them would be affected. Montana with 694,409 people. All of them would be affected. Wyoming with 332,416 people. All of them would be affected. Colorado with 2,207,000. Most all of them would be affected. New Mexico with 1,016,500,000 of them would be affected. Hawaii with 1 million people, and it's an island also, would be affected. All the people. Nevada with 488,738, which is not <coughs> real mountainous, but they would all be affected anyway. South Dakota, 666,257. About 400,000 of those people would be affected. Then we go to the East Coast in, in the Appalachian Mountains. Uh, uh, Kentucky with 329,311 people. All of them would be affected. Tennessee with 3,924,164 people. All of them would be affected. The, the, the state of Maine with 933,663. Massachusetts with 5,689,000. 170 people. Rhode Island with 949,723. New Hampshire with 737,681. Vermont with 444,732. New York, 18,241,266. 
12,400,000 live on Long Island, which would, would, would dissipate into the sea. North Carolina with 5,082,059 people. Most of them would be affected. Pennsylvania with 11,793,909. Most of them would be affected. Texas, a borderline state with 11,196,730. About 2 million of them would be affected. Virginia with 4,648,494. All of them would be affected. West Virginia with 1,744,237. All of them would be affected. Ohio's 10,652,017. About 5 million of them would be affected. Arkansas with the Smoky Mountains, 1,923,295. About a million people would be affected. That means right here in the United States of America, we would have 101,300,000 people that would be homeless with one great earthquake that took place in Act 2, Scene 2 of the Tribulation period. Praise God. Now where would the people go? All of the roads would be broken. People couldn't travel the way they're traveling. The Bible says then they go out and they see the mountains that are flat. And a few caves that are opened up as a result of rocks falling. And they will cry, Rocks, fall us and hide us from the face of God and from the wrath of the Lamb. Many of them would migrate right to the Great Plains, Central Plains area. All the parts that I have circled here, the people would be affected. You can see then, the vast majority of the people would have to come to our part and down through the Central. The thing about it though, if you go into Act 2, Scene 3, you will find that a great fire comes upon the planet Earth and one-third of the inhabitants of the planet earth are burned and the grass is burned. <clears throat> now this is on the United States. You know, you go into Mexico. How much of Mexico is mountains? Practically all of it. Go into Central America. How much of it is mountainous? You go into South America. The whole country of Bolivia is higher than the mile high city of Denver. Go into Chile and Peru. How much of it's mountainous? Go, go over in Europe. How much of it's mountainous? Go into Asia. That's the most mountainous part of the world. Through India and China and Bangladesh and, and Naples. And, and, and you'll find it's, it's all mountainous. Now friend, this is no joke. We're talking about people who are left behind. Well, some of you young people pass your notes and pop your bubble gum during church, friend. You need to be sobbing and weeping with tears. God, I want to be saved. I want to be saved. I want to be saved. You may say, Pastor Grant, are you trying to scare me to get you saved? Friend, if I could scare the daylights out of you and get you to the altar tonight, you better believe I'd do it. But you see, it seems like in our world it's kind of, kind of shockless, you know. We take everything for granted. One of the signs of the last days, men shall be unthankful. How long have I preached already? A long time. My throat is feeling. But I, I just got to say a few other things. 
You know, on my birthday, this is the first time I was gone from home, and it meant so much for me to be here because of my children. They all gather, and they all sing happy birthday, and Sister Grant always makes a birthday cake, and we have a big time. And, you know, I like that. I, I really do. i got to tell you, I do. And so I said, well, we're going to be in this hot tent. This church that we, we had our conference in St. Kitts, we had not planned on having it there. But you see the church there, having over 100 people, they got cast out of their building. And so uh, the man who was the town chairman, he uh, went down by the, the seaside. And he said, you can set your tent up right down here. The Iowa district bought the church in St. Kitts a tent to have church in. Now the tent is not very big. And they more than got it up. And here came the hurricane. Now you can't believe. I saw with my own eyes huge pieces of steel. 12 inches in diameter. That's I-beams twisted and turning. Some of them broken. Did, did you know that the pastor sat up and prayed all night long in that tent? And that tent was standing when the hurricane blew away. And they were so proud of that tent, you cannot believe. They built pews and put in there. They had a dirt floor. And that's where we had our conference. And, and you couldn't hardly hear because the sea was right behind it and the waves were blowing in. In fact, they named the church Seabreeze United Pentecostal Church. Praise God. And so when Wednesday, my birthday, came, there was, there was an elderly gentleman that, that, that came to church there. Now, this man lives on the island of Nevis. Nevis has no airport, has very little electricity or anything. He lives in a house that is six foot by eight, and it's built out of boards that are no longer than this. Brother Getz, I could take this load of pallets that you brought out to my house to burn his firewood and build a better house than what Brother Sprouse has. And Brother, Brother Shirley, the missionary there, gave Brother Sprouse a coat. Well, Brother, Brother Shirley's pretty good size. And in fact, most Americans are. They called me Big John while I was there. I said, Brother Big John. But Brother, Brother, Brother Sprouse took that red and white checkered coat and put it on. And Brother Sprouse must not weigh over 90 pounds. And he put it on and just his fingertips were sticking out. And he had on a bright orange tie. Now keep in mind, he had on a red checkered, red and white coat. And he had on brown pants and he had on a brand new pair of blue and white tennis shoes. And his feet are about this long. Now, he was so happy, though. You, you can't believe how happy this man was. You see, this man took the offering, and when he takes the offering, he dances in the Spirit, and he preaches to people by paying tithes and giving to God. Never seen anything like it. When, when we show our slides, I'll show them to you. But you see, the reason why Brother Sprouse is so happy, Brother Sprouse was a leper, and God healed him. He was destined to die, and the Lord healed him. Praise God. But when, when we sat up on Brimstone Mountain last Wednesday, my birthday, and uh, we had some Indian food that uh, there's an Indian restaurant from India, uh, and we, they catered some food, and, and they had a little birthday party for me, and that's, that's what we had. And Brother Sprouse sung me happy birthday. And it was just so precious, the way he sung it. And then he guessed my age. Now, he's 62. He guessed me to be 56. <laughs> and when he found out I was only 44, he embarrassed him so much. 
He said, I just tease him, Brother Grant. I just tease him. And then he got real serious. He says, you mean I'm older than you? <laughs> but the precious thing about it was the, that when, when the conference over, the night of the conference over, he came up to me and said, Brother Grant, don't ever forget me now. My name is Sprouse. Remember that, Brother Sprouse? He said, remember, I was the happy birthday man. See? And would you believe when we got to the airport to catch a plane, there he was. And the last thing he said to me when I, when I walked out, he said, don't ever forget me, Brother Grant. He said, remember now, I remember you because we got a brother in our church by the name of Grant. So I won't ever forget you. Every service I'll have to think of you because Brother Grant always comes. He said, but the way you remember me, I was a happy birthday man. He said, don't forget that. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. You see, one of the signs of the last days, men shall be unthankful. And you know, for the most part, don't you see that in our land? I told Sister Grant, I said, you know what we're going we're to do? I'm going to first talk with this pastor, but if we possibly can, I'd like as soon as I can save up enough money, I'd like to see Brother Sprouse get a passport and come to America and live a summer with us. I don't care how much it costs. I'd just like to do that. I don't know what he'd do, you know, get in a big car like ours and go in a house that had running water and, and sleep in a nice bed. Did you know what my bed? Listen to this. His house is six feet by eight feet. You know how many square feet that is? Anybody have any idea? Come on. Okay. Now let me ask you this. My bed is a California king size. It's seven feet by seven feet. Do you have any idea how many square feet that is? Did you know my house is one foot bigger? My bed, rather, is one foot bigger than his house. <clears throat> but I'll tell you one thing. That Brother Sprouse worshiped the Lord. He praises God with all of his heart. I'm not going to go into the other acts or the other scenes of Revelation. I wish I had the time. But I think that you have seen enough. It doesn't make any difference, friend, when the, when the tribulation period sets in. I think if I didn't know God, I'd just soon to be on a West Indian island and go down in the ocean. If I had no hope of being saved, as to live right here and be tormented. Did you know that even hell opens up and demons come out of hell and sting people and the sting of their torment will last for five months. <clears throat> Praise God. Would you stand with me? You want to be left behind? No, you don't. <laughs>
Folks, let's listen for God. God wants to speak to us. So my coming is sure. My word has declared it. And what I have proclaimed in my word has already been settled. It doesn't make any difference what men may think, nor nations may think. My word is sure. And what I have written in my word and formally declared by my mouth, will come to pass. It is also recorded that no man knoweth the day nor the hour. The Son of Man will come as a thief in the night. And while it is not my intent to slip upon anyone unprepared, because of the hardness of the heart and the blindness of the souls of men, my coming will not be known by many. And it will be as a thief in the night. But I speak to you loudly, clearly, and firmly tonight because that I love you. And because I want to save you. And so this is the midnight hour in which my servants will rise and declare that I shall return. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Because it is my nature to love, and because I care, and I am not willing that any should perish, I would that you would change your mind tonight and surrender your heart to me. Behold, I come quickly, saith the Lord. Oh, God. On both sides of the pulpit, there's a place for you to come and kneel and pray. Don't hesitate. Come and give your heart to God. Come and pour your soul out to the Lord. Start a relationship with God that's alive and real. Come on, why don't you come on right now? Sister Sue, would you sing for us? He's coming soon. He's coming soon. With joy, we'll welcome His returning. It may be. Would you come? Come on. Many people are coming, but the Lord is extending a personal invitation to you to come and give your heart to the Lord.
yes, he's coming soon. He's coming soon with joy. Thank you.